As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Newcastle United's big money takeover has been a long time in the making, and it already has a connection to at least a couple geopolitical incidents. The Athletics' Adam Crafton explains the story of Newcastle United, the Premier League, Saudi Arabia, and the Al Jabri family. I'm Alex Abnos, and this is Soccer Every Day for Monday, November 8th. Adam, thanks for coming on the show. I think it might make sense here at the very start to kind of iron out the context of what we're talking about here. Newcastle United was sold last month to a consortium backed by the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund. People call it the PIF. Could you please explain to us why the sale process took so long? Because it did take quite a long time. You have to go back. I mean, it's probably over a year or so, maybe even longer that you know, we've known for a long time that the Saudi Public Investment Fund wanted to buy Newcastle United and they'd held extensive talks, negotiations with the former owner, Mike Ashley, who was deeply unpopular with Newcastle supporters. And it looked like it was very likely to happen on several occasions. Um, the problem at the time was that there, there's a huge broadcaster in the Middle East um, called Be In Sports, which is a Qatari broadcaster. And we have that in the US, <laughs> which which is in the US, right? Yeah. Which doesn't, it isn't shown in the UK. So, um, but obviously, it's in the US. It's huge in Middle East, North Africa, in particular, and also in, in France. Now, over the past couple of years, the geopolitical situation in the Gulf region has been one of huge tension between Qatar and the neighbouring states, and particularly with Saudi Arabia. There was a blockade, uh, really, really poor relations. And this then extended to quite a surreal piracy battle, um, which went into the sphere of, of sport because Be In Sport alleged that um, a service called Be Out Q, um, which was a broadcaster that started to spring up, particularly in Saudi Arabia, to the extent that these boxes could be bought, you know, in a high street in London, in Sydney. Um, and they were basically arguing that the Saudi state was behind this piracy um, gotcha. and, that, and as we know the Saudi state has an involvement in the P Saudi public investment fund sure. so there was you know billion dollar 
legal battles raging between major sports organizations all over the world, the Premier League at the heart of that, who were basically saying, look, you can't buy this football club because you're currently being accused of, of pirating our content and devaluing the broadcast rights deals, the media rights deals that have turbocharged the Premier League. I mean, be in sport, the Qatari broadcaster pay hundreds of millions right. for these rights. And, and they were saying, well, look, we're not going to pay this in the future unless you go hard on BLQ, this alleged Saudi involvement in piracy. Of course, the Saudi state completely denied involvement in that, etc. Then, all of a sudden, one day in October, BN basically announced that, or, or BN sources let it be known, that this, is, this battle's over, right? That they've been told by the Saudis they'll settle whatever's needed legally, that BN were normalising relations with their Saudi neighbours. Um, the blockade has obviously ended quite a while ago now. There's been pictures together of the Saudi, UAE, Qatar leaders all together. And in the blink of an eye, everyone in the Gulf region appears to be friends again. So the thing that was holding back the takeover, the piracy, was off the menu. Now, there's there's been a bit of toing and froing over, you know, I think some supporters thought, you know, all the pressure that we've been putting on people in parliament and things like that has been the decisive factor. It's not. It's the piracy ended. That removed the legal obstacle to Newcastle being able to own the football club. Uh, sorry, to PIF being able to own the football club. Adam, if, if, if you'll indulge an analogy here, just to make sure that I have this right. So in the United States... NBC broadcasts Premier League games, and they include mm. many of them on Peacock, which is their streaming service, which costs a little extra. What you're describing almost sounds like, in the United States, some other broadcaster, let's say CBS or Fox or ESPN or some other broadcaster, were selling a cable box publicly that gave its purchasers free access to all of NBC's coverage, including exactly. everything on Peacock. Is that... Do, do I have that right? Yeah, or even an even or an even better example would be if another network were doing this with the backing of a neighbouring state. I don't know, such as Cuba or something like that, right? Yeah, that's that's what the allegation basically was that you know a, a state for nefarious reasons were getting behind this piracy to try and undermine the growth of a of a different state in the region. Um, clearly, you know, Saudi Arabia repeatedly. Um, denied that but at the same time the premier league were blocking it because they felt it appeared that they felt that the saudi arabian state could do more to, to combat what was happening um so it was all about premier league rights and being devalued you know people were talking about you know yes obviously the human rights violations etc were raised but that didn't appear to be an obstacle when it came, when push came to shove once the piracy was off the menu within a day or two of that happening Newcastle were under new ownership. So this, importantly, also kind of sets it apart from, say, Abu Dhabi's interest in Manchester City and City Football Group, or even Qatar's interest in PSG, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a very similar situation in that. So the the public investment fund, when when their takeover was announced, the Premier League they did not do a press conference. They weren't really taking questions. It was a statement on the website basically saying we have legally binding assurances that the public investment fund is separate from the, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, i.e. 
it's not going to be a state-run football club. That becomes very difficult in reality to, to fathom because the board of PAF has, as its chairman, the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who's obviously incredibly well-known all over the world, um, six government ministers, a royal court advisor, and then Yasser al-Rumayan, who has become the chairman of Newcastle, who was also the long-term chair of Saudi Aramco, which is the state-owned oil company. So on the one hand, you have the Premier League saying we have legally binding assurances that this investment fund has no, you know, is, is not going to be run by the state, but then people who seem highly linked to the state are, are on the board of PIF and, and clearly involved. Um, with Manchester City, the ownership is officially, I think, under Abu Dhabi United Group, rather than, you know, people often talk about, oh, it's the Abu Dhabi state. And it's a similar situation because you have Sheikh Mansour bin, uh, bin Zayed Al-Nehan. He's a member of the Abu Dhabi royal family. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also the Minister of Presidential Affairs, I think, in the UAE. Um, and, you know, for a long time, people just sort of thought, well, the Abu Dhabi United Group must be part of the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority, which is basically the Abu Dhabi Sovereign Wealth Fund, but they deny connection to that. So it's not a dissimilar situation where people are saying, look, the company's separate, therefore you can't link anything that the state does to the football club. If that, does that make sense? Yes. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, it's all it's all <laughs> it's all a little complicated, but I think you've you've explained it well. Uh, but moving on, that that's sort of the background of this whole story that you've done recently about uh, Omar Al Jabri and to an extent to his sister Sarah Al Jabri. Who are these two people? And they're the crux of the story is that they're currently in prison in Saudi Arabia. Why are they in jail? Yeah, so I mean, incredibly complicated story, um, but. You know, to, to explain very simply, Omar Al-Jabri is 23 years old. Um, Sarah Al-Jabri is 21 years old. Um, they've both previously studied in the United States. They're Saudi citizens um, and they've been in jail uh, since sort of March 2020. Um, their, their brother Khaled, who did an, an interview with us on The Athletic, said that they were basically arrested in a dawn raid at their home in Riyadh. Um, and the reasons behind this sort of continued imprisonment is, is where it becomes super interesting because their father, Saad al-Jabri, is a very high-profile uh, former intelligence officer in Saudi Arabia, and he was basically the closest ally of the former crown prince, 
Mohammed um, bin uh, Nayef, who's a, you know they call he was basically called MBN, and then you have Mohammed bin Salman, who was his deputy, who has now become the crown prince and the world leader, I suppose, that is known MBS. Right. Um, and the family basically alleged that when MBS came to the fore, when he came into power, there were politically motivated arrests and there were politically motivated attacks. And as, as examples of that, you you know, you can see you know, the most high prominent being the attack on Jamal Khashoggi, a journalist who wrote for the Washington Post, who was murdered in the Saudi embassy in the Turkish city of Istanbul. Um, subsequent American intelligence reports have, have clearly said, stated that Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, um, was likely to have approved the operation. Right. Um, MBS obviously uh, denies that. Um, but but there's you know there was other examples such as a rounding up of business leaders um, into a Ritz Carlton hotel in Riyadh, um, where you know billions of, of, of pounds worth of assets, billions of dollars of worth of assets handed over to the state, returned to the state. MBS has always argued, well, that was an anti-corruption raid, right? Right. On the other hand, you had reports in the Guardian newspaper in the UK to say that, you know, those assets were handed over under duress. So you've had these different attacks that some, some say are politically motivated, others say oh, it's about anti-corruption. And in the case of Saad al-Jabri, who was this former intelligence officer and close to the former leader, he is, he is wanted by the Saudi state. And he's been in Canada since around 2017 and has refused to return. And there's been official Interpol documents, which, have, um, which he says, you know, have text messages between him and uh, Mohammed bin Salman, um, which, I've, which I've been able to see, which basically appear to link his status to the future status of his children. So i.e. their continued imprisonment could potentially be changed if he returns to Saudi Arabia. Okay. Now clearly he's very conscious about returning to Saudi Arabia because he fears what may what may happen to him. So what's happened since then is over the past year or so there's been a, a campaign by the family to try and get this into the public eye that they allege that their this guy's children are being held, what they say, they say held hostage by, uh, by the Saudi state almost as a holding threat against, against their father. Now, clearly the Saudi state say, well, the father, who was a former intelligence officer, they argue and have put uh, court filings into Canada as well to say that he's embezzled millions, billions worth of dollars and therefore, you know, it would be justified to arrest him. And they also accuse his children of being involved, complicit in that. So they say they've committed crimes. The family completely deny that um, and say that basically it's children being held hostage because of the actions of a, a alleged actions of a parent. Is that too complicated? It feels complicated. <laughs> it is. It is complicated, but I think you've explained it well. What's striking to me, though, is that you have described what is essentially a purely geopolitical situation. And I'm curious how this connects to the Premier League and to Newcastle United. For sure. So, I mean, his, it was actually, the report came about because I'd been speaking to um, Omar and Sarah's brother, Khaled, and they were saying, look, I mean, you know, 
uh, Khaled was saying, me and Omar, we used to go to Chelsea games together. When, I, when Khaled was living in London, we're huge fans of the Premier League. We went, to, we went to Stamford Bridge together. We were there when Chelsea lifted the title in 2015. Wow. Um, and now, you know, last weekend, Newcastle played Chelsea in the Premier League. He was just saying, you know, I've gone from watching these games with my brother to, you know, him not being able to speak to my brother, not being able to visit him. The family have had no visits for over 18 months. Um, and what they are arguing is you essentially have a Premier League fan, this is what they say, we have a Premier League fan who is being held hostage by, you know, people who are linked to the ownership group of a Premier League club. And does the Premier League have anything to say about that? Do they have anything to say about it? They have nothing to say about that. Um, You know, obviously we put all these questions to the Saudi embassy in London, to the public investment fund, to the Premier League, um, the Saudi embassy in London didn't reply at all. Um, n- neither did the Saudi government via the, what they call the Ministry of Media in Saudi Arabia. Um, the Public Investment Fund and the Premier League basically say, well, look, the Public Investment Fund is separate from the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Therefore, it can't be answerable to anything that might or might not have happened in relation to the state. Now, and from a, I suppose from a legal entity point of view, fine, sure. Yeah, and maybe that's what it stands up as in the court. I think from a from a a public interest journalistic point of view, we're able to step back from that and say, well, actually, you're you're you are able to answer these questions because look at the composition of your board: six government ministers, crown prince, royal court advisor, chair of Saudi Aramco. There's people there who are able to answer questions but are choosing not to. What do you think this story means as somebody that's reported on it and kind of covered it and, and clearly knows a lot about it. What does this story kind of represent or what does it mean, if anything, going forward for the Premier League, for Newcastle United, as it continues to have these people as part of their board, part of their ownership group, um, and be involved in these sort of geopolitical situations? I think it means that, you know, their success, um, you know, a little bit like, as we've seen with the Qatar World Cup, for example, you know, there will be coverage of the football because people want to read coverage of the football. And, you know, it's not the fault of Newcastle United supporters that this has been thrust upon them. They're still entitled to have that coverage about their football team and go and watch their football team. Um, But it does mean that there will be, from from, from certain places at least, you know, coverage of what are their owners up to and questions about how you know how those people who are on the board of the of the ownership group how are they conducting themselves and you know to have the chair mbs is arguably the most controversial world leader at this current moment in time and also one of the most influential i mean you're talking about you know in terms of the size of that investment fund that sovereign wealth fund and also, obviously, a Saudi oil reserves. For, you know, from a financial point of view, you're talking about a man of immense curiosity um, and power, and that's going to lead to scrutiny and coverage and questions, um, and it will lead some people to dislike Newcastle, and it will lead some people to argue that any success they do have is solid in some way by the association, and other people won't care. And other people will just watch the football. And that's okay. That's their choice. 
Well, Adam Crafton, thank you so much for coming on the show and laying all this out for us. That's okay. No problem at all. Adam Crafton's story about the Al Jabri family is linked in the show notes to this episode. Elsewhere in soccer today, there's not much, actually, with the international break freshly in session. There are some decent games in Argentina on Paramount Plus and one in Brazil, also on Paramount Plus. Also, two small teams, Dagenham and Redbridge versus Salford City, meet in the FA Cup at 2.45 p.m. on ESPN Plus. You know how I love those early round FA Cup games. That time is Eastern, by the way. The show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic, and you can get 33% off a year subscription by going to theathletic.com slash soccer every day. Thanks for listening, and happy soccer to you all.